you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Jeremiah, the Jeremiah the prophet. We're going to look at chapter 5, which we're in a study that we've entitled, In the End, What Then? Too many people fail to ask themselves that, that one question, in the end, what then? What will happen once I draw my final breath? What will happen once this life is over? The base text for this series that we're using is found in, in verses 30 and 31. Here in Jeremiah chapter 5, God had this word to say to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. God said this, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests, they rule at their direction. Now look at this sad part. My people love to have it so. But, here's what God says. What will you do when the end comes? Folks, those are some words we had better pay attention to. What was this appalling and horrible thing that Jeremiah said would ha was happening in the land? It's pretty simple there. God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, my prophets are prophesying falsely. The priests are falling in line with that falsehood. And the people, rather than speaking out against the falsehood, God said the people love to have it so. The people love that the prophets are not preaching the true word. The pro people love that the priests are not, you know, uh, correcting the prophets and, 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 and uh, you know, proclaiming the word themselves. The prophets and the priests, they, 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 they were no longer serving God. They were no longer proclaiming the word of God as God desired. And the people loved to have it so. I believe the reason that the people loved to have it so, folks, is because they could continue living in their sins. Uh, and they could not use the excuse, well, the priests didn't tell us this was wrong. The priest never corrected us. The priest never preached that, you know, what we're doing is wrong. Therefore, it allowed them to continue in their sin without excuse, or so they thought. Or so they thought. But just like today, the people of God, here was the problem. They did not want their spiritual leaders telling them that what they were doing was a sin against the living God. Then they had become so comfortable in their sin, they didn't want to give the sin up. Therefore, they was glad that the prophets were not preaching the true word. They were glad the priests were falling right in line with that because they were content in their sinful lifestyle and they didn't want the true word of God being preached. You know, Paul hit the nail on the head when he he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, concerning those who are comfortable in their sin, Paul had this to say, who knowing the judgment of God. In other words, the people were living in their sin. They knew God was not happy. They knew the judgment of God, you know, would come upon them, that they which commit such things were worthy to death, you know, but not only do the same, but they had pleasure in doing those things. In other words, Paul said, you know, these people have become so comfortable in their sins. These people have become so, you know, uh, 
uh, comfortable and, and, and enjoy doing this, that they no longer want to hear the truth. Folks, I suggest to you we're in that same shape today in the United States of America. How sad that even some people of God today don't want to hear that aborting a baby is murder and it's a sin against the living God. So many of even God's people today, they don't want to hear that homosexuality is an abomination against the holy God and that one day they're going to have to answer to that. People don't want to hear today that living together outside of marriage is fornication and that it's sin against the living God. People don't want to hear today that having premarital sex is just not what people do. Rather, it's a sin against the living God. You know, a man or a woman who is cheating on their spouse, you know, you know, they say, well, everybody's doing it, so it has to be okay. Listen, that's adultery, folks, and it's a sin against the living God. You know, and how sad that so many who stand behind the pulpits of America, you know, Sunday after Sunday, they never preach against against these sins, and the people love to have it so. You know why the people love to have it so? Because many are involved in those things, and they do not want to hear that the things they're involved in is a sin against the living God. You see, the problem that develops when the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests fall in line with that falsehood is not only do the people like it that way, But what happens is it causes the people to no longer, you know, connect consequences with conduct. Look, when we fail, don't miss this. When we fail to connect consequences with conduct, sin then runs rampant and the people no longer fear God and they're no longer in awe of God. And folks, when that happens, everything is okay. Everything is okay in their minds. Church, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the United States of America, and even the people of God love to have it so. But what will they do when the end comes? Now today we're going to look at verses 24 through 28 and see what God had to say to his people. You see, first of all, we need to understand that God rewards those who diligently seek him. Look at verse 24. Neither say they in their heart. Now, these are the people who are content in their sin. Now, again, don't miss this. This is the people of God. Do we understand that? It's the people in the church. Do we understand that? This is the people who claim to be Christians. This is the people who claim to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Do we understand that? Are we on the same page? Okay. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, the God that giveth rain both the farmer and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto the appointed weeks of the harvest. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Hebrews 11, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Look, here in verses 24 and 25, you know, God is reminding his people that all good things come from him. Folks, listen, this world cannot offer you the things that God offers you. The world would want to make you think so. 
But we know that all good things come from God, and without God, nothing of value will come to His people. Now, to understand these verses, you know, we must just, uh, let me explain that what he's talking here about, you know, the, 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 the former and the latter rain and, you know, the weeks of harvest. Let me just pause here and explain, you know, what God is talking about here. So to understand this, we've got to understand that the climate and the soil of, of, of Philistine, you know, and all uh, uh, agricultural operations were dependent upon the rainfall. It was dependent upon certain rainfalls, to be precise. Therefore, you know, the people spoke of the weather and the crops, uh, you know, more immediately in reference to God than usual. Why? Because they understood that the rainfall was provided by God, and if God did not send the rainfall, their crops would fail, and if their crops failed, they would starve to death. So the people knew they had to depend upon God to send the rainfall at just the right time if their crops was going to produce and they would be able to eat and they would be able to sell. And if their crops did not make, <laughs> there was no Brookshire Brothers to jump in the car and run to. There was no Walmart to jump in the car and run to and look at all the weird people in there. Not that any of you are weird. Y'all are the only normal ones they go there. There's no H-E-B to jump in the car and run to. You see, these people understood that without God, their crops would fail. They understood that it was God who sent the rain at the proper time, that it was God who sent the, 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 the latter rain and the former rain. Look, God is clear that his people had drifted so far from him that they had forgotten two things about him. First of all, they had forgotten that it is he who provided that needed rain. It was he that, they, they forgot about that. They forgot about that. And God reminds them of these two rains needed for their crops to be successful. Now, I want you to see the phrase there, the former and the latter rains. This refers to the early and the late rains. The, the uh, former rains there, they occurred, you know, October, November, and even on into December. And that was, you know, to prepare the ground for the planting season. That was to moisten the soil in order that when they planted their seeds, their seeds would be able to germinate properly and everything would go good so they were dependent upon god to send those rains in october november and even on into december if the soil was going to be ready for their crops to grow now that latter rain it occurred in march or, or, or april just prior to the harvest in order to ripen their fruits in order to ripen their crops so they knew if god did not send that rain in october and november and if God did not send that rain in March and April, that their crops would fail. So they depended upon God to send this blessing, if you please, of the rains. You see, again, without these two rains, their crops would not make and the people would suffer. But what we see is because of their sins, they had ceased to fear God and had forgotten that he and he alone was the provider of these two blessings that were needed. The other thing they forgot is they had forgotten, you know, it is he uh, who assures us a harvest when the time is right. Look at verse 24b there. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks 
of the harvest. You see here, God is reminding them that it is He that, that maintains for them the weeks, you know, which are the statutes and the settled laws of the harvest. You know, these were seven weeks from Passover to Pentecost is what he's talking here. You know, and, and they were important in the ingathering of the crops, you know, as the rainy season was for the nourishment of the crops. The seven weeks were between the, the beginning of the barley harvest and the Passover and the completion of the wheat harvest at Pentecost. And with God, God, they understood there would be no harvest. But you see, sin always deprives us of God's blessings, folks. Don't miss this. Sin will always, sin in your life, sin in my life, will always deprive us of God's blessings. These rains, the farmer and the latter, were blessings from God for their crops to be produced. And because they were in sin and loved it so, God was going to cut off that blessing to them. Now what would happen to their crops? They would fail. What would happen when their crops failed? They would starve to death. They would have no income. It was not necessarily really that the rains didn't fall or that the harvest weeks were less bright. You know, the good was there, but the wickedness of the community, they blocked the channels through which it should have received the people. Others were receiving the blessing. Those without sin in their life, they were getting the rain, okay? They, they were, their blessings were coming. Now, don't miss this. But those who were in sin, even though the blessings were falling all around them, they were not receiving the blessings, even though it was falling all around them. Why? Because their sin blocked the channel of those blessings to them. You ever looked around and wondered, man, why is that person always blessed of God? And here I am, it just seems like, you know, I'm like, who is that one, Charlie Brown, that had the little cloud following him? Who was that? Somebody help me out. Who? Ink pen. Okay, whatever. Anyway, we remember him. All those old people do. These young folks are looking like, what the, who's Charlie Brown? Anyway, you know, he always had a cloud, didn't he? He always had a cloud around him. And some people feel that way. And they say, why is this? I'm not going to say this is the reason. But could it be? Just could it be? And you're looking around and blessings are falling everywhere. All around you, you see people who are being blessed. And you say, what is going on? Have you ever just sat down and said, Lord, search my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And if there is, then confess it to him. You see, these people, the rains were coming. But they were not able to receive it because their sin blocked the channels through which they would have received those blessings of God. The lawlessness and injustice of the times kept the mass of people in poverty. And the same is true for us today. God's blessing may fall all around us, but if there's unconfessed sin within our life, when there's lawlessness in our everyday walk, when we've turned our backs on the living God, then we are going to miss out on those blessings because the sin in our life will always block the channel from those blessings falling on us.
How sad that so many of God's people are missing out on the great things God has for them. Don't miss this. So many of God's people are missing out on the great things he has for them all because, oh, I love this. You may not love it, but I love it. All because the sin in their life, the sin in their life, means more than the love of God in their life. You see, they love the sin in their life more than they love the God of their life. I hope that's not you. I hope that's not you. Because if it is, you're going to miss many great things God has for you. The people love to have it so. But what happens when the end comes, God said. Now, the second thing we see here is this. God need not search for wicked. And this is a sad thing that we're going to see he said here. God said, I don't need to search for wicked people among the heathen nations. I don't have to go out here to these heathen nations to find wicked people because they're found right here among those who are called by his name. Whew, that's pretty sad. I don't have to go out here and look in the slums for, you know, for, for these wicked people. I, I don't have to go out here and look on the street corners of, for the drug addicts and the prostitutes and all that. God said, I can go no further than my house and find wicked people. Let's talk about that for a moment. How sad that God can look right at his family and find people who are just as wicked as those from a heathen nation. Whereas the people of God ought to have been holy. You know, many were evil and wicked to the point that they were out to snare other, others of the household of God. Let's look at verse 26 and 27. Here's what was happening. Wicked people of God. Did I say of God? We understand these are people of the church. Wicked people of God seek to become rich off of those they can deceive. That's what was happening there. And I want to suggest to you that's happening today, as we'll see. Look what he says. For among whose people? My people. Would that not suggest church people today? Okay, those who call themselves Christian. For among my people are found wicked men. Now, here, here's why they're wicked. They lay in wait as he that setteth snares. They set a trap. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore, they are become great and waxen rich. Whoa, now wait a minute. Is God saying to Jeremiah here that there are people in the church who take advantage of others within the church in order to get rich off the church? Hmm. Don't miss the fact that God is saying here, among my people are found these wicked ones who, who seek to deceive and to trap fellow people of God for the sole purpose of getting rich off of them. How sad that there are those in the pulpits of America today. Don't miss this. I firmly believe this. You may not. 
But I believe there are those in, the, in America, in pulpits this morning, who are there not to proclaim the kingdom of God, rather to proclaim their own little kingdom at the expense of others within the pew. That's what they're there for. And that's what Jer he was saying to Jeremiah. You've got people in my house, Jeremiah, who are laying snares for others in my house in order that they will get rich off the back of these others. <sighs> Though it may appear they're rich, <laughs> okay? Though it may appear they're rich, can I tell you something? In reality, they are poor. Look at verse 27 again. That's what he's saying there. They may appear to be rich. Notice 37. Their houses are full of goods and wealth, you know, of those that they deceived. In other words, they're getting rich off of the, 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 their congregations. They're getting rich off of their TV audiences. They're getting rich off of those um, other believers of God. You know, and he says it's just like a fowler who carries his cage along with him and he puts the birds that he catches in there. He said these people are just like that and they're wicked people, he says. How sad that it is even today, you know, we have those who pray off the brothers and sisters of Christ within our churches for the sole purpose of becoming rich off of them. And I'm not talking here about legitimate business dealings. You know, I'm talking about outright deception, uh, you know, uh, for the sole purpose of, tra uh, of uh, uh, trapping them in order that they themselves can become, as he said, waxen rich. But what did God say of them? They're wicked, they're poor, they're blind. Though they may become waxen rich by man's standards, they are in poverty by God's standards. Don't care how many helicopters they got to fly from one church to the next. Don't care how many airplanes they got to fly from one church to the next. They think they're rich, but God says, in reality, you're in poverty. Spiritually. You're in poverty. God help. And the problem with these wicked people is, is that they fail to connect consequences to conduct. They fail to ask the question, what will I do when the end comes? You see, though they shine in their own eyes, boy, they, you know, they shine in their own eyes. They really think they're something. They are tarnished in the sight of God. They are tarnished. In the sight of God. Look at verse 28. They are waxen fat. They shine. Yea, overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause. They could care less of the needy. They could care less of the fatherless. They could care less of the widows. They could care less of those less fortunate of them. Long as they give me my wants. So that I can grow bigger. So I can have bigger houses. So I can have more luxury. Look, the prophet droils on not only the prosperity of the wicked, but on their callous indifference to the well-being of the poor. How sad that he says of these people of God that they overpass the deeds of the wicked. Can you imagine God looking down at some of his people and saying, you know, you overpass the deeds of the wicked. In other words, you're worse than the most wicked person on the face of the earth. Yet you call yourself one of my children. God, help us. 
In other words, they go beyond the very heathen themselves in their wickedness. They have no fear of God who set the impassable barrier in the sand that we talked about last week. You remember last week we talked about how God set this impassable barrier in the sand for the mighty waves so the sea could go no further, whose power can stop even those raging seas, you know, but they're not able to stop, you know, these people are not able to stop their deceit. But again, the problem with these wicked people is they fail to connect consequences with conduct. And they fail to ask the question, what will I do in the end? Folks, we cannot forget to connect consequences with our conduct. We must understand that there's a consequence for decisions we make in life. And if those decisions are to stay in sin, remain in sin, rather than be faithful to the God within us, there will be a consequence. We can't forget that. Understand understand this. Though I'm going to preach the word as God has called me to do, okay? I'm going to preach the word as God has called me to do. And I'll never apologize for calling sin, sin. Okay? I'll never do that. I'll not judge you for living your life the way you choose to live it. Okay? I'll never do that. Okay? I'll never, I'm going to preach the word, and I'm not going to apologize for it. But on the same hand, I'm not going to judge you for the life you have chosen to you uh, to live if you choose that way i'm gonna respect you i'm gonna love you you know whether i agree with it or not but i'll not judge you for that some will judge you but i won't i want you to know that right offhand you have the right to live your life the way you choose and that's between you and god not you and me okay it's between you and god and not you and me But I'll not back off from the word of God just so to not hurt feelings. If I hurt feelings, it's not purposely. It's just because I'm preaching the word of God. Okay? Just because I'm preaching the word of God. John, see what my ringing is, son. Um, Here's the thing. You have the right to choose to live in sin. Or to repent from it. And that's your right. That's your right. You have the right to do good to those who around you who do evil or to do evil to them. You have the right to help those in need or to turn your back on them. You have the right to help the poor, the fatherless, and the less fortunate, you know, than you. Or you have the right to walk away from them. That choice is totally up to you. But before you make that choice... I ask that you ask this question. What will I do when the end comes? What will I do when the end comes? You see, if you you fail, should I say, to connect consequences with conduct, I'm going to assure you, your choice will be wrong. Let me say that again. If you fail to connect consequences, with your decision, with that uh, conduct, your choice 
is not going to be the right choice when you ask that question. So let me leave you with this question. In the end, will you, you will answer to the living God. Don't forget that. So what will you do when the end comes? What will you do? Listen, if you're a child of God and you look at this lesson this morning, you look at this scripture this morning and, and you say to yourself, do I love the sin in my life more than the God of my life? I want you to ask yourself that question. Do I love the sin in my life, the sin I know is not pleasing to God, the sin I know that is sin against the living God, do I love that more than the God of my life? And be honest with yourself. Because, listen to me, if you're not willing to give up that sin in your life, then you love it more than you love the God of your life. Because you're choosing that sin over your God. And if that's the case, don't do it to these people and say, what happened to my blessings? Because as we see this morning, the blessings will fall all around you. But that sin is going to block that channel of blessings that God wants to give to you. That God wants to give to you. If you're here this morning and you never asked Jesus to be your personal Savior, listen, you're missing out on a bunch of blessings. But you need to ask yourself the same question. What will I do when the end comes? What will I do when I draw this final breath? Where will my etern uh, eternal destiny be when the end comes? And if you're not 100% sure it's going to be with Jesus Christ in the place he went away to prepare in heaven, then you need to take care of that this morning. You need to take care of that this morning. You need to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, come into your heart, save your soul, you know, and begin living your life to please him, to please him. Let's pray.